Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Great Scott Podcast. Today, I'm joined by director, screenwriter, and pro- and producer, as well as the nephew of Jerome Silberman, Mr. Jordan Walker Perlman. How's it going, Jordan? It's uh, going well. Hello, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Uh, so, basically, uh, the first thing that I uh, wanted to ask you about is. Um, the name uh, Jerome Silberman, that's a very synonymous name, uh, known by uh, another name, obviously. But um, did anybody ever call your uncle by his real name? Um, no, rarely, I should say. Uh, the people that knew him, first of all, I never once ever heard him called Jerome. Um, but they used to call him Jerry when he was a kid. And there would be relatives of his, or, or particularly his cousin Buddy, who was his first cousin, that would occasionally call him Jerry. Uh, and, and he allowed it with, with the older relatives, but um, for, for his own generation, it increasingly perturbed him in a very gentle way. So that ceased, and by, I'd say, by the time I was five or six years old, everyone called him Gene, even people that knew him originally as Jerry. So uh, just for those uh, my listeners, they're wondering who who's Jerome Silberman. Um, I'll uh, just tell them who it is real quick. It's uh, the late actor known as uh, Gene Wilder, uh, Willy Wonka, as well as from Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles, as well as many other numerous projects. But um, so uh, tell me how uh, Gene was. Oh wait, wait, I wait. You know what? I could tell you one quick story about Jerome Silberman. Okay. The only time, the only time I ever heard him called Jerome Silberman outside of uh, a ninety-year-old aunt or or his or his dad was, I used to live with him part of every year, so he was like my co-parent. Gene was, and I, when I was five, six, seven years old, when he moved to L.A., I'd be on the plane, you know, what they call it, unaccompanied minor, and in those days, you could always pick pick people up at the gate. You didn't have to wait. And once, when I was eight or nine years old, he wasn't there when I got off the plane, and I was waiting for him. And the attendant stayed with me and said, "Do you want? You're waiting for your dad. Do you want to? Do you want to page him? We'll page him in this loudspeaker." This was right after Silver Street had come out, and I knew at that time I knew enough to know that he was at this point not just an actor but a movie star. So somehow, one of my few intelligence. One of my few intelligent decisions as a child, I said, yes, page Jerome Silberman. Don't page. <laughs> Just page him as Jerome Silberman. And she waited, and then she looked at me and said, oh, look, look, there's Willy Wonka. There's Willy Wonka. <laughs> there's Gene Wilder. And he came running up to me, and he was so worried because of traffic, and he was late, and he was hugging me and thanking the attendant, and she was in shock. That's the only time and perhaps the last time he was ever called Jerome Wow. So that's a pretty incredible story. Um, so that, 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 uh, that kind of segues into what I, I wanted to ask you. Um, what was he like as an uncle? Was he pretty accessible? Uh, it seemed like a very loving, loving man and very family-oriented. Well, he was, he was extremely loving. He was extremely gentle. He was family-oriented to the extent that if, if you were in his family and he developed a relationship with you, um, he was very present. He, he also had a very independent life. What makes it hard for me to answer your question as you initially phrased it is, 
by the time I was four or five or six years old, he wasn't really, pardon me, by the time I was four or five or six years old, he wasn't really an uncle anymore to me. He was a parent. Um, so that shift happened around that time. And so that I can tell you he was a, he was a terrific uncle, but he was really a dad to me too. And, um, and there was where he was really extraordinary. He was an extraordinary parent. Like I got, I got really, really lucky there because he, he, and granted, I didn't live with him 20, 24 hours a day, 12 months a year, but enough during the year that he was kind of, until Gilda came along, he was kind of a single father, single parent to me. It was just him and me when I lived with him for until 1983, 82, 83. Um, he was very gentle. Um, he liked his days structured, and so he liked my days structured. But it was not a structure that any kid would ever oppose, because um, it was usually for me. I loved movies. It was usually if he was working on a movie, or more often the case, editing one, built around going to the studio, built around his friends who played tennis, and built around the restaurants he went to. And the only thing was, as a, as a, he he wanted. The whole thing worked because he wanted me to sort of be a mini version of him, even at seven, eight, and nine years old. So we go into Ralph Lauren every Friday to in Beverly Hills to to pick out his you know sports jacket or shirts, and then he'd see if they had one in my size, and he kind of he dressed me like he like he was dressed, and go to the restaurant with his close. He had a very close knit group of friends. Um, and, and didn't really want to break out of there too much. He loved people, but he was very private. He didn't go to parties. Um, his idea of fun was going out to dinner. So, you know, he listened to Jacques Brel and Andre Gagnon music and, 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 and get the two bottles, choose which bottles of red wine he was taking to dinner. And, and, and that was a part of my childhood. And he made it seem like a great adventure. And he would always be worried that I, that when I was with him in Los Angeles, I wasn't around un enough kids, but I didn't mind at all. And it was just him and me and then his friends at dinner time. And, and, um, he was very, very, very concerned with teaching me right from wrong. Um, so that's the kind of parent he was. He made, I was just going to say, he made, he made what I realized there was structure and discipline very warm and firm. As uh, or did people ever call him, I know that I had asked you originally about uh, his, his first birth, his real name rather, um, but uh, did people always call him Willie Wonka wherever he went as well? No. Um, that happened later in life. When, you know, people don't realize this now. When Willy Wonka first came out, it was a commercial disaster, and to some degree, a critical failure too. And it was a, it was it, so it was not considered the thing and the um, the force that it is now. When I was growing up um, in the late '70s and early '80s, it became that during that time for the generation that had seen it and then wanted to see it again. And this was just when VHS were coming out, so it wasn't until Later in the mid '80s, that it was it, it, the role became 
more associated with him than a lot of the other roles. What he was really recognized for during that time when I was very young that you're talking about was much more Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles and then and then Silver Streak. And uh, he used to say, he used to say, we, we'd go out to dinner almost every night. Maybe one night a week we'd stay home and, and barbecue. But he used to say, because we'd go out to the restaurant, and um, I would, I, I was just understanding the same thing. And I grew up, I, I was very, um, besides being a weird kid, I was, one, of my, one of my few good qualities was I was very attuned to everything around me because of the way I was growing up between different parts of my family. And, and when it was, cause it was just Gene and I and no one else, I, I, I started to not like it when people would come up, um, and ask for an autograph or say hi. Cause I just felt that they were, I, I didn't act mean or petulant, but I just felt that they were invading my time with him. And he used to say to me, and they wouldn't say a character name. They would say his name, say, Mr. Wilder, or I'm such a big fan. Nice, very nice stuff, because when you're known at that time, he was known mostly for um, these kind of bigger-than-life but warm and funny roles. It's, it's, it's not like they had a beef with him. It's not like he, they, they wanted to, to, to take on uh, some persona of, 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 that they would with actors known for more dramatic or action roles. So they felt very much like he was accessible, but they also felt very respectful. But he would say to me, um, Jordan, or Jordy, as he called me when I was little, he said, you understand I'm not that famous. He said, it's not going to happen an awful lot. He said, I'm just famous enough that we always can get the best table in the restaurant, but I'm not so, I'm not so famous. I'm not so famous that we can't, I, we can't eat most of our meal in peace. He said, if, 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 if you were living with Clint Eastwood, you'd be in real trouble trying to have dinner in the restaurant. And that's how he kind of, he kind of, he kind of viewed it. Later on, once DVDs, VHSs, and then DVDs, and then certainly the onset of streaming, and a new generation kept on watching Willy Wonka, which I said to him, because he had a lot of mixed feelings about Willy Wonka, and I said, you know, the one beautiful thing is, you have a new generation of kids every few years that fall in love with you. And I said, that's, that's a special part of your legacy. But then it would be the parents. It would be the parents that would say to the kids. Like the attendant said to me that time in, in LAX, there's Willy Wonka. The kids, the kids just kind of looked up with wonder in their eyes. Um, but the parents would say, oh, go say hello. That's, that's Willy Wonka. But that happened later. That happened in the late 90s more and the early aughts. So uh, did Gene ever get to see the new adaptation with Johnny Depp? Uh, I know it was called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by then, but um, did he ever get to see it? And, and what was his feelings about it? Was he all for it? He <laughs> what, do you, does your podcast have a rating? Um, I'm not sure what language I can use. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, uh, he was, he was the opposite of all for it. He thought, and this was before, well, when all he knew was that they were going to do it, he said, this, this is ridiculous. And he barely, he rarely cursed. He maybe cursed 
unless he was telling a joke, I, I maybe heard him curse 15 or 18 times out of however many thousands of days I spent with him. Um, he says, just, it's, they just want to make money. It's just bullshit. They just want to make money. He said, they don't care. Then, then Tim Burton was, was going to be the director. He said, oh, you know, well, he's, he's a creative guy, so maybe. Then Johnny Depp got cast, and he said, well, I like Johnny Depp. He's, he's a sensitive young actor. He said, I still think it's bullshit, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe if it's going to be any, if it's going to have to happen, those guys. And then he, he didn't see it right away, but then eventually he saw it and he just, he just couldn't stand it. He thought it was, he just thought, he thought it was awful because his feeling was that the, the version he was in, um, mixed humor and chills and, and had enough of an edge. Um, and he knew that Dahl, the author wasn't fond of his version either. And he was very, very rarely judgmental about other filmmakers or other films. And, um, but yeah, no, he did. He, he didn't, but he, he didn't like it as a finished film, but he was more, he didn't blame the actors or the or the filmmaker, but he just thought the studio was just trying to make a buck and yeah, had no other yeah. reason to do it. And he, that he just found atrocious. So uh, before they started casting and uh, shooting the picture, um, did they offer him a role in in this no. uh, in the film? Okay. No, they offered him no role and did not seek his opinion. And if he had been offered a role, he wouldn't have taken it. Um, a couple years earlier, I should I say a couple. You're going to have to go to your research department for me to, for, to 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 know the exact year. There was a Barry Levinson movie called Toys, I think, and um, in the, the movie ultimately got cast with Kirk Douglas um, playing a a dying impresario, and um, but they originally had intended to offer that part to Gene. And he said, no, they, they just want to film the death of Willy Wonka. He's like, so I don't want to have any part of that. So he wouldn't have done, he wouldn't have participated in any way, shape, or form, even if they had offered it to him. So uh, speaking of Gene, um, I was watching an interview with uh, Mel Brooks, I think it was on, um, on the uh, Tonight Show with uh, Jimmy Fallon. And uh, I guess him and Mel mm -hmm. were pretty good friends um, after uh, filming Young Frankenstein and, and Blazing Saddles as well. Uh, did they remain? Close? They were good. Yeah. They, uh, I know, I, I think I know what you're going to ask. I can answer part one and part two. First, you want to know about their friendship, and then you want to know how long did their friendship last. Yeah, something like that. Did yeah. I get that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so the first thing to know is that they, be, they were already good friends by the time of Young Frankenstein. Um, they had been friends since the early 60s because Gene was in a show before I was born, but they both told me the same version of the story, so I know it's accurate. Um, he was in a show with Anne Bancroft called Mother Courage. And no, actually, it might not have been Mother Courage. It, was, it might have been The Complacent Lover. But he was in a show on Broadway with Anne Bancroft, and she was dating Mel Brooks at the time. And... Mel went backstage to see her and to introduce himself to Gene, and Mel had on a Navy coat, um, one of those old PT-9 coats from World War II. And Gene looked at it and said, after Mel kept on complimenting his performance, 
Gene looked at it and said, that's a beautiful peacoat. And Mel said, they used to call it a urine coat, but it didn't sell. <laughs> and Gene was a very serious actor at that time. He had studied at the Old Vic. He did not do comedy. He didn't know really who Mel was. He may have vaguely watched their show, your show of shows. He was an up-and-coming actor in New York, New York theater, very serious. He won the Clarence Darren Award, which is very serious award. And he burst it out. He burst out laughing. And from that day on, he and Mel had become friends. And a couple months later, Mel said, I'm going to do a movie called Springtime for Hitler. And I've got a part for you. And then Jean didn't hear from him about the part for two and a half years, maybe three. And um, I, I was just recently talking about this with Mel. Mel says that he, he, he kept in touch. Gene always said he didn't. I, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, and then that became the producers. And when Mel had the money, they did the producers. And they were close friends since then. And John Wayne had said no to Blazing Saddles. An old actor named Gig Young said yes. And then he couldn't do the role, and he, Gene was about to shoot a movie called The Little Prince, based on the book. Mel called Gene because they were friends um, and said, I need to find a great actor who's also my friend and is willing to get on a flight and do this part. And that's when Gene flew and did Blazing Saddles. And so they were already friends, and they became closer during Young Frankenstein. Gene wrote the original screenplay for Young Frankenstein, and then Mel and he wrote the next draft. And, and they, they, among Gene's best friends, there were maybe seven or eight in Los Angeles from the 1970s and 80s. Mel and Ann were two of them. And, um, he and Mel, even when he moved to the East Coast, Gene did. He and Mel always remained close and they always talked on the phone. And, uh, so to the extent that when Gene was dying, I only called four of his friends to let them know that they should call and say goodbye and that the end was near. Mel was one of the four. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I do definitely want to uh, get to you uh, as well. Uh, you also are in the show business realm as well. Uh, so, is, is, yeah. so is there anything that you're currently working on? Um, I am, I am... I, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in a much different. I have a much different career arc than Gene. Yeah, right, right. Uh, I was at, so just to just to explain. I'm, you know, I'm a I'm a director, writer, producer, but I've gone on I've I've gone on and off. Whereas I've taken breaks and done other things. Whereas Gene stayed on and then went completely off and never came back. And also, I do very kind of different things. But um, I, one of the great regrets of my life is that. He and I, he, he and I did get to work together once on um, an audio version of his last book, but we never got to work together on film. Uh, he was very supportive and very kind of tickled about my career, even though I made I made very different kind of movies. My next movie, it, it's a set. It, it, it connects to what we're talking about because my next movie is about kind of about me and Gene, um, which is not something I'd ever, I ever thought I would do. Um, it was very difficult. I always, I was always proud that he was my parent and always, you know, upfront about it. And, um, and, and don't think I ever, I ever took 
advantage of it and I and and we were in such different worlds but it's not something that I used as a surface subject matter by that meaning all kinds of unconscious things have filtered into my work about that come from Gene and my relationship with Gene but this is the first movie that it's it's blatant um, and it's called The Requiem Boogie and I go into production I believe in Malibu California in about eight weeks and it's about it's about it's about a former child star who's now a, a grown man uh, mourning the death of his very famous parent and his mother who died many years earlier who was also an actress so it is it is extremely autobiographical about my experience and there are certain flashbacks that take place. There were actual things that happened with me and Gene, or, or in some cases, me, Gene, and Gilda. So, uh, was Gene kind of the one uh, also who got you interested in going into um, entertainment, or uh, did you just want to follow in, in his footsteps uh, growing up? I, I I didn't want to follow. I didn't want to follow in his footsteps so much because he he thought I would. I would become an actor like him. And that wasn't something that I was particularly interested in because, and he had, he had reservations about it too, because he, he, he kind of wanted it and kind of didn't want it because he was so protective of me. Um, but what he did was this. I grew up half the time in New York and, and part of the time with him in Los Angeles because I have different people of different backgrounds in my family. So I also, my grandmother, for instance, was African American and I grew up a lot with her and, and was a member of, of her church and still am today. Um, I, I never felt that I belonged in any world. And that is a recipe for, um, a lot of anger and a lot of aggression and a lot of, complicated feelings, all of which I'm sure I have. But because of my exposure to the life that Gene led artistically now, I just mean he was doing art he cared about, certainly in the late 70s and 80s, and he he was experiencing an outlet for his own um, neuroses as a human being. They were suddenly gone because he was able to express himself as an actor. He had this career which in the early 70s, in terms of film career, was in doubt because the films he, were making, he was making were not critically or commercially successful until, until later. But he showed me that he could have that outlet, but more importantly, um, filmmaking is something that people that are in it are endlessly trying to make people that aren't in it think that it's inaccessible. Oh, it's so, it takes so much money. Oh, it takes so much work. Oh, you've got to have all of this. It's not, it's not a world you can easily join. Um, because a lot of people in the film world are very covetous and possessive of their place in it. And they don't, they don't necessarily want a lot of room for other people. Um, but Gene, because of my time with Gene on movie sets, I saw that it wasn't some strange thing. It was a natural thing. I'm sure if he was a painter, I would have, sought out painting. If he were, uh, at the time, a writer, I would have sought out writing. It was an outlet. And, and so what he showed me was that it wasn't an impossible thing to achieve. And I also thought, 
well, if I don't belong in any world, if everyone wants to tell, ask me what am I, who am I, and I don't belong with them, then the best thing to do is create a world of your own, which is what movie making does for the filmmaker. You get to create a world of your own. And that's the greatest gift that Gene gave me in terms of the start of my career, which started by making films for Nickelodeon when I was 12 and 13 years old. Because he taught me that, A, it, you can do it, it's not mysterious, and B, I found this channel to create a world of my own. So that's the most important gift he gave to me uh, in terms of how he inspired me to go into filmmaking. Well, Jordan, I do want to thank you uh, so much for your time on here. Um, what a life and what a career your uncle had and uh, just the impact that he had on, on show business in general. And um, please keep his, his memory alive. Uh, this is an extraordinary man. He, he was. I thank you very much for what you just said. He was, he was an extraordinary man, and he was also, you know, an extraordinary artist. And um, I think even beyond the Willy Wonka phenomenon, I think his work in, in, in Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, and, and a number of other films that he did will, will be part of permanent film history. So, yes... Thank Absolutely. you. And it's a very, very proud, very proud to be part of that. About uh, I'm very proud to be part of that. I guess. So thank Absolutely. You. Good luck on on the film, and I definitely will be in line to uh, see it once it comes out. Okay. Thank you. I get 25 cents, so per ticket. <laughs> so, so bring your bring your friends, please. <laughs> I'll need it. And I've got a book coming out too. Oh, called, yeah, called also, Harlem, yeah. Called Harlem Hollywood, which is a which is a memoir of my early childhood growing up between my grandmother and Jean. And I don't know what I get for every copy that's sold of that, but you know, pick one up too when that comes out. And then uh, I'll come back on your podcast and talk about that. Absolutely, yeah. Please do. I, I would love to have you back and share more about. Uh, your, your career as well as Gene and um, your, your family as well. So uh, thank you so much for, for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you.